Blog Talk Radio. Sometimes the feeling is right. You fall in love for the first time. Heartbeat and kisses so sweet. Summertime love in the moonlight. I see I Identified until more than 30 years later. 
he is buried at Arlington Cemetery. Recently at a hotel, somebody found his wristband. There is a link in the chat room to the article of the Chicago Tribune. I encourage everybody to click on it and check it out. It's very, very – this story of this soldier is unbelievable. It is absolutely, positively amazing that his his tags ended up at some hotel in a lost and found. And just last year or this year, um, one of the clerks found it and Googled the person's name. And uh, those tags are uh, now in the hands of his brother. Can you imagine that? How they got there, I guess, is anyone else's guess, but let's be glad that they're in the hands of him. And also, let's not forget, I want to thank, um, thank him for his service. As we know, he has paid the ultimate sacrifice. Well, 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 in the news today, as we certainly know, the Republicans are busy at work, aren't they, as ever? <laughs> Unreal. Well, the blind lead the blind, but do the stupid also lead the stupid? <laughs> in the Republican Party, the answer is Y-E-S, yes. Why would anybody other than a socialist even vote for another Republican? <laughs> Monday was a clear challenge not only to members that the socialist movement is not going to change in the Republican Party. And led by the king of all kings of Republicans, John Boehner, the key congressman removed, he removed key congressman, Congressman Boehner removed other key congressmen and other committees. And the word was because they won't, quote, toe the party line. The votes were not in lockstep with leadership. Several, including my congressman, were removed from the uh, budget committee as they prepared for their balanced budget amendment. Can't have one of those, though, can we? Just what does the GOP stand for today other than throwing uh, a firehouse sale, knowing they're soon to be virtually out of power, period, in almost all branches of government? Is the party finished? Clearly, the powers that be are telling the Congress people um, who are in office, while we still have a little bit of power, let's screw the people good. The Constitution of the United States means nothing to the Republican Party. It means nothing. Now, we again seek the leaders of GOPs, uh, of the GOP. What do they want to do? They want to cut spending? No, they want to raise spending. Do they want to cut taxes? No, they want to keep the same. They want to uh, keep the Bush tax cuts, but they don't want to cut anything. Tonight we're going to listen to those who will carry the message and fight, 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 fight for true Republican policies. Who better than the man who warned us many years ago about this? Now... One side in this campaign has been telling us that the issues of this election are the maintenance of peace and prosperity. The line has been used, we've never had it so good. I won't have to worry about putting gas in my car. I won't have to worry about paying my mortgage. You know, if I, if I help him, he's going to help me. But I have an uncomfortable feeling that this prosperity isn't something on which we can base our hopes for the future. The, the key point I'm making right now is that uh, the economy is moving in a positive direction. And yet our government continues to spend $17 million a day more than the government takes in. You're telling me we got to go spend money to keep from going bankrupt? The answer, yeah, that's what I'm telling you. We've raised our debt limit three times in the last 12 months. And now our national debt is one and a half times bigger than all the combined debts of all the nations of the world. We're going to raise the debt limit. Uh, we always have. Uh, we will do it again. We have $15 billion in gold in our treasury. We don't own an ounce. I have been informed by the, that the majority plans to block consideration of uh, this amendment, which is number 1367, regarding the transparency at the Federal Reserve. Foreign dollar claims are $27.3 billion. It said that China has now surpassed Japan as the U.S. government's largest creditor, owning at least 10% of all U.S. debt perhaps as much as $700 billion. And we've just had announced that the dollar of 1939 will now purchase 45 cents in its total value. 
President Obama is expected to face tough questions over the U.S. decision to pump $600 billion freshly printed dollars into its economy. Now, the move is an attempt to revive the country's finances, but will result in the devaluation of the dollar. We're at war with the most dangerous enemy that has ever faced mankind in his long climb from the swamp to the stars. We've got to give them a stake in creating the kind of uh, uh, world order that I think all of us would like to see. And it's been said if we lose that war and in so doing lose this way of freedom of ours. You'll construct a legal regime to make indefinite detention legal. History will record with the greatest astonishment that those who had the most to lose did the least to prevent its happening. Well, I think it's time we ask ourselves if we still know the freedoms that were intended for us by the founding fathers. For some trips, it'll be faster than flying without the pat down. Anna was, was picked to go through. Pretty much everybody except the baby was, was picked to go through uh, the, the scanner. If we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on Earth. Damn America, that's in the Bible. Whether we believe in our capacity for self-government or whether we abandon the American Revolution and confess that a little intellectual elite in a far distant capital can plan our lives for us better than we can plan them ourselves. I've got a core set of values that uh, I think have to be advanced um, and, and that I, my individual salvation depends on uh, our collective salvation. You and I are told increasingly we have to choose between a left or right. Well, I'd like to suggest there is no such thing as a left or right. There's only an up or down. We had an election, and it was about a direction for our country. And regardless of their sincerity, their humanitarian motives, those who would trade our freedom for security have embarked on this downward course. In this vote harvesting time, they use terms like the great society, or as we were told a few days ago by the president, we must accept a greater government activity in the affairs of the people. E pluribus unum, out of many, one. In the end, in the end, that's what this election is about. Well, the trouble with our liberal friends is not that they're ignorant. It's just that they know so much that isn't so. It, over the course of ten years, it would cost what it would cost us. It, it, <laughs> All right. Okay. We're going to. The, it would cost us about the same as it would cost. Um, won't cost us much, would it? <laughs> Always yes to absolutely, positively everything. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Who's worse, the president or the Republicans? Within the Republican Party is the voice of the voiceless. The Republican Party has changed so much. It's almost with, with a face. The same as the Democrats. What do we? What do they actually disagree on? Um, other than the budget, you know, that somebody wants to spend a little more money here or a little bit of insignificance. They're in virtually in agreement. The Republican Party is not a pro-life party. The Republican Party is a continuous war party. Uh, how well do the Republicans believe in taking care of our soldiers, our veterans? What is left of the voiceless in the Republican Party must rise up. The Republican Party itself will implode without we, the true conservatives, voting in that party. This was a tribute in 08, the, the, tribute, the tribute in 08, as well as in 2012. This is one of the reasons they have failed miserably. They've not changed any direction, with the exception of they've increased spending. At this point, I want to pay tribute as we hit the quarter of the hour uh, to a great group of Navy SEALs. It's a special group of individuals. As we all know, um, on virtually all the shows I am involved on, we are a very pro-military, pro-veteran, pro-caring soldier broadcast. This is a very, very touching. We've played this before, and I wanted to play it again because I have not played it in quite a while. I had an unforgettable day yesterday, and I wanted to share it with you. I know we've all sat around and discussed in detail why we do what we do 
and if we will be willing to continue to do what we do, day in and day out, regardless of deployment, retirement decisions, job opportunities, missed birthdays, missed holidays, etc. This is something I wanted to share, and you were the people that came to mind. It's another reason I continue to serve, I guess because many others do and sacrifice a lot more, some even their lives. My crew was alerted yesterday to find that our mission had changed. We were now a backup to a high-priority mission originating from Afghanistan. When I asked where we would be going, the answer was, back to the States. Later I learned our destination was Dover. I was the aircraft commander for one of the two C-17s that transferred the Chinook helicopter crash soldiers back home. The crew that started this mission in Afghanistan would end up running out of crew duty day and need another crew to continue the soldier's journey. We just happened to be available. After being alerted and going through our normal sequence, I found myself at the foot of the aircraft steps. Before I took my first step upward, I noticed a transfer case close to the door. I had only seen one in pictures. The American flag was tucked smartly, folded and secured on top. I paused at the bottom of the stairs, took a deep breath, and continued up with my mind and eyes focusing on making it to the next ladder leading to the cockpit. However, as I entered, I couldn't help but notice the remaining 19 transfer cases in the cargo compartment. The entire cargo compartment was filled with identical transfer cases with American flags. There are moments in life I will never forget. For me, it's the days my son and daughter were born. Another occurred five months ago when I had to deliver the unthinkable news to a mother that her son was killed in Afghanistan. And although I didn't anticipate another day like that this soon, yesterday was another. I looked at the paperwork I was signing and realized the magnitude of the day. I glanced over the paperwork and signed. In a way, I felt I had taken ownership of these fallen soldiers. It was now my duty to ensure they make it home. After confirming the pre-flight was complete and the aircraft was fueled, I went outside to start my walk around. As I walked down the steps, a bus had parked in front of the aircraft and unloaded 11 passengers. The passengers were fellow SEAL team members who were escorting the fallen back to the States. I stood at the front of the aircraft and watched them board. All of them walked off the bus with focus in their eyes and determination in their steps. Just as I imagine they do when they go on a mission, I made eye contact with the lead SEAL, nodded my head in respect, and he nodded back. Finishing my walk around, I stopped at the bottom of the stairs. I looked up into the cargo compartment. Two American flags and one SEAL Team 6 flag hung from the top of the cargo compartment. Three of 20 transfer cases were visible. One with an American flag and two with Afghan flags. I looked up at my aircraft and saw United States Air Force painted on the side and I stood trying to take it all in. I wanted to make certain, and I never forget these images, that I never forget the faces of the seals, the smell of the cargo compartment, or the sun slowly rising over the landscape. It's important that I don't forget. We need to honor the dead, to honor the sacrifice of the fallen. I understand my role in getting these fallen soldiers home is insignificant compared to the lives they lived and the things they did for our country. Most of it we will never know. All I know is every American should see what I see. Every American should see the busloads of families as they exit the freeway headed for Dover Air Force Base to reunite with their fallen or witness the amount of time, effort, people and equipment that go into ensuring our fallen have an honorable return. The very next day we took the same aircraft back overseas. We had leveled the aircraft at our cruise altitude and I walked down to the cargo compartment. No more American flags hung from the ceiling. All the transfer cases were gone. Instead, I watched a father lie with his son, cradled on his chest, on the same spot that only yesterday held a fallen soldier. I watched a young girl clutching a teddy bear, sleeping quietly where the fallen had lain. I realized so many Americans have no idea where the fallen lie. I am honored to be one that does.
Now that, my friends, true heroes, true wonderful heroes. Just like we do a Southern Sense, we also play a song after we send a tribute. Uh, Beyonce's going to uh, do this for us today. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I've worked for all my life, and I had to start again with just my family by my side. I thank my lucky stars. The flag still stands for freedom And you can't take that away And I'm proud to be an American Well, at least I know I'm free And I won't forget the men who died And who gave their rights to me I'll gladly stand up next to you And defend her till today Cause there
back-to-back tributes, Beyonce and Lee Greenwood. God bless the USA. What does it mean to be an American? What does it mean to be an American? I mean, seriously. Uh, what's the difference between Nancy Pelosi and John Boehner? When's the last time any of them talked about the Constitution? How about anyone in the Senate, the President? Did you ever hear the Constitution being mentioned from any of these people? Presidents? Uh, Bill Clinton may have mentioned it. <laughs> but other than that, it's almost forgotten. Whether it's pre-crimes or the Patriot Act, just a never-ending uh, group of politicians who don't believe in the Constitution. Well, Thomas Paine believed in the Constitution. He believed in the Declaration. And he believed in the people. I still believe in the people. Do you? When a silent majority allows their nation to lose its common sense, that nation is lost. And you are allowing them to take your country away from you. Is it common sense to adore at the altar of multiculturalism? Read your world history. Not one nation has survived as a multiculture. It's the uniculture that is your strength. One country, one culture, one language. Is it common sense that 84% of the people want to make English the official language of America, but your majority political party espouses insanity, ignores the people, and says no? Is it common sense that 53 countries, mostly in Africa, have declared English to be their national language, and the party who declares we will unite you says, press two for Spanish? Is it common sense to adopt your new national religion of diversity when the very word means disunity? We founded a country on similarities, not diversities. One country, one culture, one language. You cry out for unity, but is it common sense to continue to identify yourselves by your ethnicities and not your nationalism? White hyphen America, black hyphen America, Chinese hyphen America, Hispanic hyphen American, gay and lesbian hyphen American, the black caucus, the Hispanic caucus, the woman's caucus. You want unity? Change your language. Isn't it time once again we all became just plain Americans? Or is that too much common sense? Is it your new common sense now to stand up and cheer when a presidential candidate wants to hand over the health care system to that same government who has run Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and 12 other entitlement programs into bankruptcy? A government bureaucracy who can't run a railroad, your airports, secure your borders, or find 15 to 20 million illegal aliens. That same government that allows Islamic women to take their driver's license picture wearing a neck scarf covering their face because it offends their belief. What's next? Allowing the Ku Klux Klan wearing their hoods? Is it common sense to bankrupt the American Treasury? Fighting wars for countries whose silent majority won't fight for themselves? Your debt is now $9.4 trillion. Is it common sense to continue to give away $9 billion of taxpayer money to unfriendly countries in foreign aid, including $2 billion a year to Egypt, who votes against the United States 80% of the time in the United Nations? All this while your own inner cities crumble. Forty percent of your high school graduates can only read or write at a fourth grade level. You have to import people from China and India for your high-tech industry because you haven't got enough smart people in America. And New Orleans and the flood victims of Iowa continue to be forgotten. This is madness. Lay down your misplaced global burden and rebuild America first. You can't support the world while neglecting your own country. Are you unifying the country with common sense when both of your presidential candidates cry out, we must show compassion for the 15 to 20 million invaders from south of your border? But not one word of compassion for the overburdened American taxpayer who is forced to subsidize the invaders by paying over $250 billion of their hard-earned money to establish America as the welfare department of a failed, corrupt foreign country. Are you unifying your country with common sense by sending out your utility bills and your Social Security checks in Spanish? Legal and illegal immigrants have no incentive to learn your unifying language because you make it easy for them not to assimilate. How many of you write in big letters across that bill, English only, please, and send it back? Stop bending over backwards to accommodate every other culture but your own. 
Is it common sense to allow your activist judges to ignore your history, your culture, your declaration of independence, and every other founding document to remove God from public life? And endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, their creator, not the ACLU, not the will of the atheists or the anti-Americans that sit on the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in San Francisco. Separation of church and state, yes. Separation of God from public life, never intended by your founding fathers. Is it common sense that the very political party who claims to be the party of the people and shouts, we will bring change, consistently stops all common sense legislation to secure your borders, establish workplace verification, and stop taxpayer money for illegals? They call themselves progressive global thinkers. We had another word for them in 1776. We called them traitors. This happened all once before. 232 years ago, it led to revolution and thousands of dead in the streets. It will happen again unless you take back America now. Join the grassroots movement of the second American Revolution, not of guns and violence, but pressure, pressure, pressure on your non-representing representatives who created these problems in the first place. This is the most important phone number in your democracy, the congressional switchboard. Pick up your phone every day, every hour if need be, and call your representatives and tell them in no uncertain language to listen to the silent majority or else be thrown out on their hindquarters. It's toll-free, and your taxes pay for it. Would you stand by and watch your family perish when you have the power to save them? Of course not. Then why are you doing that to your own country? one 9281 Perhaps you allow all this destructive, uncommon sense out of a distorted notion of tolerance. Remember what Aristotle said, tolerance is the last virtue of a dying society. You are tolerating the behavior that is destroying you. This wine was once rich, highly desired, and admired. But when you dilute it with enough water, it stops being anything. Take back America now. Choose to be part of the second American revolution. Pressure, pressure, pressure. No presidential candidate, no political party can save you now. Only an aroused citizenry will turn this uncommon sense around. And he or she who does nothing now is helping them to destroy America. My name is Thomas Paine. And I approve of this message. I only hope to God you will, too. Absolutely, absolutely. And it didn't just start recently. Once again, you know, Republicans, uh, Democrats, when they're planning elections, they watch Fox News and they watch their opponents. They study them. They go back in history. I mean, they're just so so good at the things they do even whether it's planning sit-downs or strikes or whatever it may be. When it comes to a big election night, they seem to peak almost all the time unless they screwed a bunch of things up, which they normally have. But, of course, Republicans never watch Democrats. They wouldn't be caught dead watching MSNBC. <laughs> Why, would they learn something? Here's something somebody from... MSNBC said several years ago, while Republicans were cheering the end of liberty with thunderous applause, it was the worst Democrat on the planet, quote unquote, who said it best. This is John Boehner today. This is George W. Bush yesterday. This is the Republican Party as we know it. The remnants of the Tea Party and true conservatives must rise up, must one must one by one crush the people like Boehner, throw off such government, and provide new true conservatives, the Rush Limbaugh's, the Pat Buchanan types, to replace these absolutely miserable socialist Republicans who are imploding and destroying a party which was founded by people like Abraham Lincoln and wonderful great leaders at the local level. Remember this idiot? He made this statement on his show on MSNBC, and of course Republicans did nothing but badmouth him. History says a lot. History tells it all. We have lived as if in a trance. We have lived as people in fear. And now, our rights and our freedoms in peril, we slowly awaken to learn that we have been afraid of the wrong thing. 
Therefore, tonight have we truly become the inheritors of our American legacy. For on this first full day that the Military Commissions Act is in force, we now face what our ancestors faced at other times of exaggerated crisis and melodramatic fear-mongering, a government more dangerous to our liberty than is the enemy it claims to protect us from. We have been here before, and we have been here before, led here by men better and wiser and nobler than George W. Bush. We have been here when President John Adams insisted that the Alien and Sedition Acts were necessary to save American lives, only to watch him use those acts to jail newspaper editors, American newspaper editors, in American jails for things they wrote about America. We have been here when President Woodrow Wilson insisted that the Espionage Act was necessary to save American lives, only to watch him use that act to prosecute 2,000 Americans, especially those he disparaged as hyphenated Americans, most of whom were guilty only of advocating peace in a time of war. American public speakers in American jails were things they said about America. And we have been here when President Franklin D. Roosevelt insisted that Executive Order 9066 was necessary to save American lives, only to watch him use that order to imprison and pauperize 110,000 Americans, while his man in charge, General DeWitt, told Congress, it makes no difference whether he is an American citizen, he is still a Japanese. American citizens in American camps were something they neither wrote nor said nor did, but for the choices they or their ancestors had made about coming to America. Each of these actions was undertaken for the most vital, the most urgent, the most inescapable of reasons. And each was a betrayal of that for which the president who advocated them claimed to be fighting. Adams and his party were swept from office and the Alien and Sedition Acts erased. Many of the very people Wilson silenced survived him and one of them even ran to succeed him and got 900,000 votes, though his presidential campaign was conducted entirely from his jail cell. And Roosevelt's internment of the Japanese was not merely the worst blight on his record, but four decades later it would necessitate a formal apology from the government of the United States to the citizens of the United States whose lives it ruined. The most vital, the most urgent, the most inescapable of reasons. In times of fright, we have been only human. We have let Roosevelt's fear of fear itself overtake us. We have listened to the little voice inside that has said, the wolf is at the door. This will be temporary. This will be precise. This too shall pass. We have accepted that the only way to stop the terrorists is to let the government become just a little bit like the terrorists. Just the way we once accepted that the only way to stop the Soviets was to let the government become just a little bit like the Soviets. Or substitute the Japanese, or the Germans, or the socialists, or the anarchists, or the immigrants, or the British, or the aliens. The most vital the most urgent, the most inescapable of reasons, and always, always wrong. With the distance of history, the questions will be narrowed and few. Did this generation of Americans take the threat seriously, and did we do what it takes to defeat that threat? Wise words, and ironic ones, Mr. Bush, your own, of course, yesterday in signing the Military Commissions Act. You spoke so much more than you know, sir. Sadly, of course, the distance of history will recognize that the threat this generation of Americans needed to take seriously was you. We have a long and painful history of ignoring the prophecy attributed to Benjamin Franklin that those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. But even within this history, we have never before codified the poisoning of habeas corpus, that wellspring of protection from which all essential liberties flow. You, sir, have now befouled that spring. You, sir, have now given us chaos and called it order. You, sir, have now imposed subjugation and called it freedom for the most vital, the most urgent, the most inescapable of reasons. And again, Mr. Bush, all of them wrong. We have handed a blank check drawn against our own freedom to a man who has said it is unacceptable to compare anything this country has ever done to anything the terrorists have ever done. We have handed a blank check drawn against our own freedom to a man who has insisted again that the United States does not torture. It's against our laws and it's against our values. And who has said that with a straight face while the pictures from Abu Ghraib prison and the stories of waterboarding figuratively fade in and out around him. We have handed a blank check drawn against our own freedom to a man who may now, if he so decides, declare not merely any non-American citizens unlawful enemy combatants and ship them somewhere, anywhere, but may now, if he so decides, declare you an unlawful enemy combatant and ship you somewhere, anywhere.
And if you think this hyperbole or hysteria, ask the newspaper editors when John Adams was president, or the pacifists when Woodrow Wilson was president, or the Japanese at Manzanar when Franklin Roosevelt was president. And if you somehow think habeas corpus has not been suspended for American citizens, but only for everybody else, ask yourself this. If you are pulled off the street tomorrow and they call you an alien or an undocumented immigrant or an unlawful enemy combatant, exactly how are you going to convince them to give you a court hearing to prove you are not? Do you think this attorney general is going to help you? This president now has his blank check. He lied to get it. He lied as he received it. Is there any reason to even hope that he has not lied about how he intends to use it, nor who he intends to use it against? These military commissions will provide a fair trial, you told us yesterday, Mr. Bush, in which the accused are presumed innocent, have access to an attorney, and can hear all the evidence against them. Presumed innocent, Mr. Bush. The very piece of paper you signed as you said that allows for detainees to be abused up to the point just before they sustain serious mental and physical trauma in the hope of getting them to incriminate themselves. And they may no longer even invoke the Geneva Conventions in their own defense. Access to an attorney, Mr. Bush? Lieutenant Commander Charles Swift said on this program, sir, and to the Supreme Court, that he was only granted access to his detainee defendant on the promise that the detainee would plead guilty. Hearing all the evidence, Mr. Bush, the Military Commissions Act specifically permits the introduction of classified evidence not made available to the defense. Your words are lies, sir. They are lies that imperil us all. One of the terrorists believed to have planned the 9-11 attacks, you told us yesterday, said he hoped the attacks would be the beginning of the end of America. That terrorist, sir, could only hope. Not his actions, nor the actions of a ceaseless line of terrorists, real or imagined, could measure up to what you have wrought. Habeas corpus, gone. The Geneva Conventions, optional. The moral force we shined outwards to the world as an eternal beacon, and inwards at ourselves as an eternal protection, snuffed out. These things you have done, Mr. Bush, they would constitute the beginning of the end of America. And did it ever occur to you once, sir, somewhere in amidst your eight separate, gruesome, intentional, terroristic invocations yesterday of the horrors of 9-11, that with only a little further shift in this world we now know, just a touch more repudiation of all of that for which our patriots have died, did it ever occur to you once that in just 27 months and two days from now, when you leave office, some irresponsible future president and a competent tribunal of his lackeys would be entitled by the actions of your own hand to declare the status of unlawful enemy combatant for and convene a military commission to try not John Walker Lind, but George Walker Bush for the most vital, the most urgent, the most inescapable of reasons. And doubtless, sir, all of them, as always, wrong. Well, well, well. <laughs> Keith Oberman doesn't sound too stupid in that one, huh? <laughs> How about the judge? Does the government work for us or do we work for the government? The Constitution is the supreme law of the land, and everyone who works for the government takes an oath to uphold it. Tonight, the president violates the Constitution. A principal foundation of American government is the rule of law. This is a value which we happily inherited from Great Britain, where the king was once an absolute monarch. There came a time in which Parliament actually debated the following question. Is the king superior to the rule of law, or is the rule of law superior to the king? Though our 21st century minds might chuckle at such a debate, people in England lost their lives over it. Eventually, the debate was won in favor of the rule of law, and begrudgingly, even the king acknowledged that he was subject to the law, just like everyone else. When the American Republic was founded, after the colonists had seceded from Great Britain, it was a given that the rule of law would be a building block of our society here. And the framers of the Constitution understood this when they guaranteed due process, that is, predictability and fairness from the government. The rule of law has come to mean that the laws of the land apply to everyone. No one is above the law, meaning no one is free to disobey it with impunity, 
and no one is below the law, meaning it cannot be used to prosecute someone for reasons other than that person's alleged criminal behavior. If this were not so, then whoever heads the government would be a king. President Obama himself, when he was a senator from Illinois, correctly criticized then-President George W. Bush for signing a bill into law, making it a crime for federal agents to open and read your mail without a search warrant, and stating that he had no intention of enforcing the law. It is a self-evident truth that if the president can pick and choose which laws to enforce and which to permit to be violated, if he can decide which parts of the Constitution to follow and which to ignore, if he can treat the law as if he were in a cafeteria, some of this, some of that, none of the other, then we don't have the rule of law and we don't have a president, but instead we have a king. So how is President Obama doing? Pretty bad. He too has signed bills into law stating that he won't enforce them as they're written. He started a war in Libya without a declaration of war from Congress as the Constitution requires. He has appointed hundreds of personal assistants, sometimes called czars, and has given them the power to run vast aspects of the government from the White House, contrary to law. He has permitted federal agents to listen to your telephone calls, to read your mail, and to monitor your keystrokes on your computer, all without search warrants from judges, as the Constitution requires. He has put Americans on an assassination hit list and has targeted them for killing, even though they have not been charged or convicted of any crime, much less sentenced to death. He has announced that hundreds of persons captured in the past 10 years in the government's so-called war on terror will not get trials no matter what the Constitution requires or the Supreme Court says. And he has permitted federal agents to use torture, even though the Constitution itself, as well as three treaties and four federal statutes and 50 state statutes, prohibit it. What are we to do? Well, you might not be a victim, and you might even hate the victims of the President's lawlessness. But if it goes unchecked, then we are back to that strange-sounding argument in the British Parliament, where the king... We call him the president, but he behaves like a king, is not subject to the same laws as the rest of us. And if you permit this president to break the law because he hates your enemy, you are planting the seeds for a future president to break the law because he hates you. As Robert Bolt reminded us in his play, A Man for All Seasons, the law protects everyone's freedom. If we let the president cut down the law to get to a devil, what will we do when the devil turns around and pursues us and there is no law for our protection. We at Freedom Watch will continue to be your night watchmen, but we can only do so if we have the rule of law. From New York, defending freedom every night of the week. Gotta love Judge Napolitano very, very much. You have to pass out some detentions over there in, uh, in the chat room. Andy, you're in charge of detentions. <laughs> I think these Joe guys Biden. are irresponsible, but the thing that idiot. angers me the most, and it yeah. angers me, Chris, is how incomprehensible it is for anyone to think that the president did not know that his intelligence agencies didn't believe what he was saying. I believe that's why these came, guys came out with a now. Sixteen American intelligence agencies uniting, saying, I'm not going to wear the jacket again on this one. And I disagree with only one well, thing that Andrea said. The intelligence community didn't misread what was going on in a major way in Iraq. They misused the intelligence they were given. Well, the, they the trouble is the Senate has never gotten to that... I keep waiting for that second part of that intelligence analysis to show how it was manipulated. But I want to ask you about something you've been involved oh, with. You said that if the President of the United States had launched an attack on Iran without bitch. congressional approval, that would have been an impeachable offense. Do you want to review Absolutely. that comment you made? Well, how do you stand on that now? Yes, do you think I do. I want to stand by that comment I made. The reason I made the comment was as a warning. The reason I made, I don't say those things lightly, Chris. You've known me for a long time. I was chairman of the Judiciary Committee for 17 years or its ranking member. I teach separation of powers and constitutional law. This is something I know. So I got together and brought a group of constitutional scholars together to write a piece that I'm going to deliver to the whole United States Senate pointing out the president scholar. has no constitutional authority to take this nation to war against a country of 70 million people unless we're attacked or unless there is proof that we are about to be attacked. And if he does, if he does, I would move to impeach him. The House obviously has to do that, but I would lead an effort to impeach him. The reason for my doing that, I don't say it lightly. I don't say it lightly. 
I say it because they should understand that what they were threatening, what they were saying, what was adding up to be, what looked like to the rest of the world what we were about to do, would be the most disastrous thing that could be done at this moment in our history okay. that I can think of. You know, Senator, the great thing about you being elected to the Senate when you were about 29 years old is that you were a senator back when there were real senators there, like Wayne Morse and J. William Fulbright, who understood the constitutional importance of what you just said. I wonder whether a lot of people watching this show don't, don't even get what you're talking about. They don't even remember when there were senators that understood the checks and balances of our government, of our Constitution. I am so impressed you said it. Thank you very much, Senator Joe Biden, candidate for... I'm not sure if that was uh, the Joe Biden show. <laughs> what a what a what a group of douchebags. Two of them. <laughs> oh man. We're going to do a little tribute to Sergeant Wolf right here. I rise first to honor the memory of Sergeant Edgevides Presadio Wolf of Hawthorne, California. Sergeant Wolf was an army sergeant assigned to the 7 uh uh, 107th Brigade Support Battalion, 4th Brigade Combat Team, 4th Infantry Division, out of Fort Carson, Colorado. Sergeant Wolf was a hero who gave her life in service to her country. Sergeant Wolf, also known as Doobie, dreamed of serving in the U.S. military as a child who immigrated to the United States from Mexico with her family. As soon as Doobie was able, she joined the United States military so that she could fulfill her lifelong dream to serve and protect her country. She met her husband, Josh, at Fort Bragg. Together they had two daughters, three-year-old Isabel and one-year-old Valerie. Both Doobie and Josh were deployed to Afghanistan, where they served in separate units. Tragically, Doobie recently died in an insurgent attack while in Afghanistan. She was only 24 years old. Earlier this month on Veterans Day, I had the honor and privilege of participating in events with veterans and their families in my congressional district in Hawthorne and Inglewood, California. I was deeply moved by the families of our service members. Not only do service members make major sacrifices, but so do their families. They live with the harsh realities of war and its implications on them. Spouses must sacrifice long-term career planning, and children are oftentimes forced to transfer to different schools throughout the country. Tragically, as is the reality of combat theater, some of our troops do not make it home. Today, I salute and thank Sergeant Wolf, along with all of our nation's past and present heroes who sacrificed a great deal in service to this country. I express my condolences to Duva's sister, Cecilia, and Hawthorne on Veterans Day, and I know that her friends and family are still mourning. It is my hope that they will find comfort and peace in the loving memories and the distinguished legacy of service that Duva leaves behind. I thank you. Here for one Spokane family with two sons serving in Iraq and Afghanistan. Tonight, however, there is some relief for them. The Allen brothers are home on leave. KXLY 4's Annie Bishop is here now, and, and you were there for the reunion, Annie. And after traveling for 24 hours, Jordan and Brooks Allen couldn't have asked for a better homecoming. Jordan waited for his brother in Kuwait so they could come home together. Banners, balloons, and a big crowd for two brothers home from the Middle East. Oh, I tell you, I haven't slept for three days. Because Bill Allen hasn't seen his sons in over a year. It's gut-wrenching. Because, you know, you never know. Today, he knows they're safe. <laughs> Captain Jordan Allen and his younger brother, First Lieutenant Brooks Allen, are finally home. It's awesome. It's a great feeling to see everybody back here, though. There's not a dry eye here. Jordan and Brooks are both Army Rangers, went to the same college, both played football. Jordan is serving in Afghanistan. Brooks is stationed in Iraq. We have a, a little uh, secret line that we get to talk on, so we, we, stay in, uh, we stay in touch quite a bit. We're really close. Um, we're definitely close. See, I outrank him, and so we, I give him a hard time about that, but really when it boils down to it, you know, he's my younger brother, and we would do anything for each other. In fact, he waited two days in Kuwait to get on the same flight as his brother. It's been a year since they've seen each other. When people would ask, you know, for brothers or not, and just to be able to say that, you know, I'm coming from Iraq and he's from coming from Afghanistan, we're, we're able to 
to be on the same flight together and everything is pretty special. The pair are home for just two weeks, time this family is so grateful to have. You don't really realize what you have until you leave it for six months and you're over there. And coming back, it means so much to us to see our family. I'm really proud of them. And after their leave is up, uh, Jordan heads back to Alaska and Brooks heads to Germany. Reporting live, Annie Bishop, KXLY 4 HD News. All righty. Well, thanks to everyone in the chat room. Of course, always a pleasure to have Jermaine around to uh, cause all kinds of trouble, if I'm not mistaken. One or two, one Negro in the whole chat room, and look at the trouble he's causing. <laughs> I'm not sure who's up at exact at nine o'clock, but someone's up at nine, someone's up at ten, and Jermaine and I and Sarge. Uh, oh, I actually think Monica will join us today. It's Tuesday. Who will join us at 11:30? By that time, I'm sure Jermaine's bottom will be nice and black and blue. Well, it's already black, but I think so at the blue. Anyway, um, we got a great show as always, and. You know, feel free to call in. Uh, also, Annie and I are on, uh, I'm not here tomorrow um, for Doc Jones, but I will be Friday. I'll, we'll just have to wait and see. But anyway, on behalf of Jermaine Thompson, Sarge, Monica, Dr. Jones, G-Ski, the beautiful Miss Annie Ubelis, this is Cool Mike. But most importantly, on behalf of C. Robert Jones, who is somewhere, we're proud to be an American. Thank you, everybody, and good night.